Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. The title of today's sermon is, The Lord is Risen Indeed. Sounds like an Easter message. Sounds like a Resurrection Sunday message. It's, it seems like uh, Resurrection Sunday was a while ago. It was just last week. I heard other people saying the same thing. It seems like it's been a while. By the way, uh, a lot of people uh, commented on last week's sermon. I've had several people talk about it, and the Holy Spirit was moving. The Holy Spirit was in charge. Verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, the tomb. Now I have to say sepulcher at one point in the sermon because it starts with an S. and you'll, You'll see it when we get there bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Did Jesus need that stone moved? He, 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 he didn't need it. He, did, he, need, he could walk through whatever in his glorified body. But the people on the outside needed it moved so they could look in. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, this is the angel speaking to the people who were afraid, that were bowing down. They, he, the, these angels, or these men who were in shining garments, said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Do you, do you ever catch yourself seeking the living among the dead? Have you ever been into a church that was a dead church. And people have come to that place seeking Jesus. And we could even ask them, why seek the living among the dead? I've been to them. We need to be a church that is alive. Don't ever let this church be a dead church. We need the Holy Spirit to make us alive. We need Jesus resurrected. The Lord is risen indeed. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spake unto you when He was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and told all things, these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary 
Magladine and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and, the, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Where were the apostles? You know, at Anna's track meet this past Wednesday, they didn't have any girls to run against in the 4 by 400 They were a little disappointed. And they were going to run against the boys. And they were like, we, we're not competing with anybody. And the coach said, yes, you are. If you beat the William Bird boys, I will buy you all four of y'all ice cream after the, after the meet. Well, they beat the boys. Anna got her best time on the 400 by about four seconds. The ice cream's a motivator. Beating boys is even a bigger motivator. She almost beat her teammate back to the finish line, which was the, the, uh, the son of the head coach of the varsity team. That would have been embarrassing. And then the last leg, uh, that's why I was saying that the only reason I didn't beat Addison to the finish line because I strained my hamstring. Well, that's what happened to the boy running. And he, he realized he was going to get beat. And at the third turn, he just kind of came up lame, you know, and kind of limped his way to the finish line. I'm like, he's pretty smart. Where were the apostles here? They were hiding. They were too afraid to venture out and to go to the tomb. But all of these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother James, and all the other women that were with them, all these women were brave enough to go to the tomb very early in the morning. And it was later that Peter... Let's, let's read a little bit more. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the tomb. Now we know that it, was, it wasn't just Peter. It was Peter and that disciple that Jesus loved, which would have been John. And, I, and, I, and if, you, if I remember right, John beats Peter to the tomb, but then stops and doesn't go in, and then Peter passes him and goes in to the tomb. And when Peter goes in and he's stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed wondering in, in himself at that which was come to pass. Now, in another gospel, it will say that the, the uh, cloth that goes over the face, so they would wrap the body, put the spices, keep the, the critters away, the little bugs, you know, because the body's going to start de decomposing pretty quick and that the bugs start coming in to do their job. So they would take these, these linen cloths and they would put spices on them, and they would wrap the body really good. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Remember Lazarus was in the grave for, for like four days, and it needed to be four days. He needed to be in the process of decomposing, not just reviving somebody back to life, but actually bringing somebody back from the dead. And Lazarus was told to come out, and he was hopping along. He couldn't, he, all the, the grave clothes were wrapped around him. And then Jesus said, loose him, get all that stuff off of him. Well, they had that, what was called the napkin that was over the face. So they would wrap the body and everybody would come along and, and see, 
and you could see their face, but then when they went to put them in the tomb, they would put that napkin in place and cover the body completely. When they go in, they can see. I'm wondering, was, was the linen cloth still in the shape of Jesus' body? He didn't need to be loosed from it. Did he just come out of it? Did Peter go in and see the, the, those linen clothes laying there? Did it look like a mummy? I don't know. Or were they laid flat? But then the, the face part of it was folded up and laying over to the side? Well, that's, that's just an introduction to the sermon. The sermon today is going to be about two disciples who had lost heart, they were not hanging out with the fellowship, and they have decided that they're going home. They're starting in 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. How far is that? Three score is 20, 20, 20. That's 60 furlongs. Now it all makes sense. No, not really. What's a furlong? All right, now I've actually heard one person say, we don't really know where Emmaus was. Then I've heard somebody else who's taken several trips to Israel said, yep, I visited Emmaus. So I don't know, do we... Do we really know where it was at or not? Well, so the Schofield Bible will tell you that it's 582 feet in a furlong. So if there were 60 of those, that's 34,920 feet. There's 5,280 feet in a mile, and you do all the math, and it comes out to 6.6 miles. 6.6 miles. But you listen to Adrian Rogers preach on it, you look at John Phillips' commentary, they're going to say seven miles or seven and a half miles. Does it really matter? It's a, it's a pretty good ways. So you're looking at about a minimum of two hours, probably more like three, of walking from Jerusalem to the house in Emmaus. These two disciples. Now, who were these disciples? 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. They're, they're discussing all this stuff. But remember, they're leaving the fellowship. They're, they're leaving the other disciples, apostles, all these women who are in Jerusalem. They, they, they said, I've had enough of this. We're, we're out of here. And they're leaving. So, I got, I got this little outline here, and the first point is the, the two disciples and their misery. I, I stole this outline from uh, John Phillips, and he always matches up the letter. He, he, he'll have a series of points, and the last word will all start with the same thing. So point one is the two disciples and their misery. The second point is the two disciples and their mystery. And the third point is the two disciples and their ministry. Now the first point, the two disciples and their misery. Their, their, their minds are blown away. They've given up, they're heading home, and I want you to think about their direction. And then their discussion. See the D and the D? Their 
direction is their back is turned on Jerusalem and they're going their own way. That's their direction. And now we're talking about their discussion. What are they talking about? They're talking about all the things that have happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So there, I don't know how many other people were walking along with them leaving, or if they were just these two by themselves, but Jesus comes up near them and is listening to their conversation. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answer, answering said unto him, Okay, now, as we go through this, you're only going to hear Cleopas speaking. There's two of them. They're walking. The other one never named. And when they get to their destination, they live in the same house. I'm thinking this is husband and wife. Even though women made the men look absolutely pitiful in this resurrection story, the men were hiding, the women are the ones who were brave enough, but yet women a lot of times aren't even named in the Bible. Women are not even counted in the Bible. It's how many sons did he have? How many girls? How many daughters? Ah, who cares? How many sons did he have? And, and there are women who take offense to that. But yet, all through the Gospels, it was always the women who got it. It was the women who were brave. But they, and they always took a place down here, and all of us need to be the same way. Is it important to you that your name gets spoken and you're lifted up and, and, and you get the credit? We need to be like the women. Brave, wanting to be the first one to the tomb, but yet not worried one bit about whether our names are spoken or if we really count. So Cleopas, his mind is a little blown right now, and he says, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? Jesus already knows everything about what has happened. And he asked them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers deceived him, or delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Can you see Jesus just walking along and just listening intently? Whoa, oh, that's terrible. He's just listening to them talk about this. They don't know that it's Jesus, and they're telling Jesus all about Jesus. 
but we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the tomb. <coughs> and when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the tomb, and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Cleophas has shared all this with Jesus. You know, sometimes people say, why do we need to pray to, pray to God? He already knows. Why do we need to say anything about him? Because he already knows. This is a perfect example of Jesus wants to hear what we think about Him. What are we willing to tell others about Him? If you do something, it, you know, we're, we're made in the likeness and image of God. You know that when we, when we get a, a review for our job and they tell us all the good things we do, do we like hearing it? And if we get a really good report, are we excited about it and want to tell others? We all like to be talked good about and to be recognized for our accomplishments. We all like that. We come to church to tell Jesus how great He is. That's worship. We come in here and we Praise God in song. We'll sing the same song. How many times in a year? We, we just sing it. And He loves every word of it. So this is, now Jesus said, Then He said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Just real simple response, wasn't it? He's basically saying, you've got Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, you've got all these things, and have you not figured it out? Have you not figured this out? So now we're in that part of the two disciples and their mystery, the stranger that was walking with them. And now he's getting ready to share the scriptures with them. And beginning at Moses, which would be Genesis 1-1, beginning at Moses, and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what that means is all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. 
Now I'm going to read out of my uh, John Phillips book here. About the, you, we, we got the stranger, now we have the scriptures. In one verse, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the first thing you notice that they did is they talked about him. They talked about how he was mighty indeed in word before God and all the people all the way up to where they crucified him. And they, they were sad in their conversation before, and they had crucified hopes, and they were leaving. Their direction was in the wrong way. But even though they had given up on Jesus, thinking he was dead, Jesus had not given up on them. All the things he could have done. And he, this is, I'm reading now, and he silently listened to it all, drank it all in, and would have opened their eyes then and there, except he had a better way. He was going to open their eyes to the scriptures before he opened their eyes to the Savior. For if we would avoid crucified hopes again, if we would avoid walking out on God's people again, just because the meetings are dull, if we would avoid heading out on our own once more, out of the fellowship with God's people and with no future at all, useless to God and man, then our faith must be grounded solidly on the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Nobody knew this better than Jesus. So he first gently rebuked them for their folly and their blindness to the word of God. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, he said, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures uh, of the things that concerning himself. He opened up their Bible to them. He preached Christ to them from the familiar pages of the scriptures. They were amazed as, as he expounded to them the sufferings and the glory of Christ embedded in every chapter, every verse, every line of God's inspired word. He simply restored their balance. They had expected a militant Messiah. He showed them a meek Messiah. They had expected a sovereign he showed them a savior. They had accept, expected a ruler. He showed them a redeemer. They thought of a conquering Christ. He showed them a crucified Christ. The pages of Scripture burned and blazed with a light and a luster that outshone the burning brilliance of the setting sun. He took them back to the predictive types that formed such a large part of their Bible. He began perhaps with the promised seed. Perhaps he took them back to the Garden of Eden and showed them Adam and Eve standing in their guilt and nakedness. He reminded them of the very first prophecy, how the serpent was to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but how the seed would triumph at last. He reminded them of the coats of skins provided for Adam and Eve at the cost of sacrifice. For only by the shedding of blood could their wretchedness be covered. 
He showed them God covering sin until such time as the Messiah could cancel sin. From there would have been a short step to Abel's lamb and to God's utter rejection of Cain's bloodless sacrifice. Ought not Christ to have suffered, he said. And they were thinking, wow, we never saw it like that before. They looked at each other and looked at him, their weariness and wretchedness now peeling away. Tell us more, they implored. He went on, perhaps through the story of Noah's ark. Now how do you think Noah was saved from the wrath to come? He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The ark represented a finished work of salvation. It was sealed against the storm. Then, the, then when Noah and his family came into the ark, the door was shut and the storm of judgment arose. It broke in all of its fury upon the ark, but not on them. Without the ark, or without Jesus, they would have perished with the rest of the world. He likely would have taken them to Mount Moriah. We were there last week. He would have shown them, listen to this, you heard it last week, but listen to it again. He would have shown them father and son going up together to the place of sacrifice. And there, in meek obedience, obedience unto death, Isaac, having carried the wood to the site, was stretched upon it. The knife was raised and the fire was ready, but the story did not end there. For wonder of wonders, Isaac lived and found a bride. Remember I told you last week, we, because of Jesus being raised from the dead, a church was being prepared, a bride was being prepared for Jesus. That whole story of Isaac receiving his bride, Rebecca, is, is a type and picture of, of, what, of that very thing. And what about Joseph? The Joseph from back in Genesis. Did they not see Christ in the sufferings and the glory in the story of Joseph? How he was his father's well-beloved. He went forth from the father to seek his wandering brethren, the children of Israel. He came to them, but, they, but was hated by them and sold for the price of a slave. He was handed over by them to the Gentiles. Is all this sounding familiar? He was put in the place of darkness and death down in that dungeon... And in due time, he was brought forth and raised to the right hand of majesty of the Pharaoh. Jesus came out of the grave and was raised to be at the right hand of the Father. Then Joseph was given a name above every name, that at the name of Zaphnathpaneah, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess him as Lord. Could they not see Christ in all that? And what about the Passover and the way chief? Did did not these things speak of Christ in death and resurrection? And what about the smitten rock? We talked about that recently. The smitten rock, they gave the life-giving water. What about the serpent on the pole? The brazen serpent raised up on the pole. I lost my place. And the offerings. And what about David? Was, was he not rejected before he reigned? Did, did he not destroy him that had the power of death? Think about him beating Goliath and taking him out. 
And did he not at last, after many sufferings, come into his glory? And what about Jonah? Was he not three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish? And did he not come forth in resurrection life? Puked up onto the beach. To take a message to the Gentiles? Jesus came up out of the grave to take a message to the Gentiles. How could they read their Bible and not see these things? What a Bible lesson that must have been. How those seven and a half miles must have melted away. From the predictive types, he must have turned to the plain teachings that form so large a part of the Bible. He would have reminded them of the prophecy, listen to all these, the prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah 7.14. The prophecy of his birth in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. The prophecy of the forerunner, John the Baptist, in Malachi 3.1. He would have reminded them of the prophecy of his rejection in Psalm 69, of his betrayal in Psalm 41, and his being sold for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11.12. For it had all been foretold. The spitting in Isaiah 50. The crucifixion, Psalm 22.16. The orphan cry in Psalm 22.1. The vinegar and the gall in Psalm 69. The gambling for his clothes in Psalm 22.18. The piercing of his side in Zechariah 12.10. So, so too was his resurrection in Psalm 16. Verse 10. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, he said, and to enter into his glory? Thus it was that their very hearts burned within them. The mystery of, all, of, of, of it all changed now. They were no longer occupied with the mystery of the stranger. They were occupied with the wonder of the Word and with the mystery of their own blindness and unbelief. Until at length, all too soon, the journey was over. They had arrived at Emmaus, and there the stranger bade them farewell and made as though he would have gone further, but they had fallen in love with him. They asked him to come in. They wanted to hear more and more and more. Their faltering faith was flaming again. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And this stranger had so expounded the word to their hearts that they wanted another Bible study right away. Do y'all want more? Are you looking for more? You want more of the word? Verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Have you asked Jesus to come in? He's waiting for you to ask. He's not going to force his way. They asked for him to come in and he was glad to do so. They still don't know who he is. He could have on the walk, he could have said, You hungry? And and picked up a stone and turned it to bread. That would, have, that would have, oh, you must be Jesus. He could have hit a rock and made water come out. Are you thirsty? There was no miracles here. Your faith 
needs to not be based on miracles. It needs to be based on the Word. Jesus Himself could have made Himself known in a moment, but He went through expounding on the Scriptures all the way through. He gave them this great survey of the Old Testament. And they were loving it. They were seeing what they didn't see before. And they could see that all of it was pointing to, 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 to Jesus, who they thought was in a grave back, way back there. And it came to pass as he sat at meat, sat down to eat supper with them, with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Imagine Jesus sitting across the table. They've obviously asked him to pray over supper. After all of what he's done, they were like, come in, please come in. We want to hear more. And they sat down to eat, and they wanted him to bless the food. And he reaches out, and he takes the bread, breaks it. I'm thinking they saw his hands as he broke the bread and saw the nail-pierced hands. Gave the bread to them. It's the breaking of the body for all of us. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Jesus wanted them to lean on the word that he had just expounded to them. Because he had to go. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and went all the way back to Jerusalem. That long walk of coming all the way back to their home, as soon as their eyes were opened, so the last part of it, of, of this uh, outline, is the two disciples and their ministry. So they now have a new vision, their eyes are opened, and now they, this is a new word for me, a new volition. Have you ever heard that word? A new volition. That word means the act or power of willing or determining, forming a purpose. They now had a purpose, and they jump up, and they go all the way back, probably record time. They all PR'd on their mile time and got all the way back to Jerusalem. And they run into the upper room. And when they get there, they walk in to the others. And I think it's the others who say, when they walk in ready to say, the Lord is risen. They, they, I think that's what they were wanting to say, but I think when they walked in, the people inside said, the Lord is risen indeed. And they were like, yeah, that's what we're here to say. Because it says, and hath appeared to Simon, and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And then Jesus shows up. 
And he's right there. Where two, where two or three are gathered together, Jesus will be in the midst of them. Amen. Amen. I pray that if the word, the scriptures were so important to Jesus that he was willing to walk those miles with these two disciples and to expound on it, that that would open up our eyes and open up our hearts that we will see the importance of it as well. That we would know the Scripture so well and we can see Jesus in all of it and be able to better introduce Him to those who may be walking away. That we would, we would come up beside them and introduce them to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you for your wonderful scriptures. And Father, even though many of us through our lives, through our Christian walks, have, have maybe turn, turned away, that you were right there with us. Father, when we were, we were willing to give up, you had no desire to give up. And Father, that you're there. Whether we see you there or not, you're there. And Father, we're asking you to come in. Father, we don't want to be a people who just know about you, but we really know you. Father, we want you to be not just part of our lives, but to be all of our lives. Father, we want you to come in to our hearts. We want you to come into our homes. We want you to be here in this church in the midst of us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.